Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, episode 137. In honor of Father's Day, we're devoting the month of June to a series we're calling Dad Connection. For each of the five Tuesdays this month, we're featuring a different foster or adoptive dad. Here at the Adoption Connection, we value hearing from a wide range of voices, and we're excited to bring these special dad conversations to you. So this week, we are featuring adoptive and foster dad, Peter Mutabazi. For the past 20 years, Peter has worked for several global nonprofits, as well as local charity organizations that promote wellness and development of children. He is a surviving street child, foster dad, single dad, entrepreneur, and founder of Now I Am Known, which he is getting ready to tell you about in our conversation together. Here's my conversation with Peter. Peter, welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Well, thank you. I'm really excited to be here, Melissa, to join you and share my story. As we've asked all the dads in the month of June, will you just give us a quick rundown of who all lives in your family right now? And, and I know you do some foster care, so maybe that changes, but um, who all makes up your family? Well, right now we have five, you know, it's five of us. I'm a single dad and I have three foster kids uh, or foster children uh, and my uh, uh, adoptive child. So, you know, uh, so I have five, six, 14-year-old and 17-year-old. So that's my family. That's my full house on uh, for sure. Yeah. So you're a busy guy. Uh, busy, yes. Hands full. No, no, no moment that goes boring or <laughs> nothing happening in my house. It, it's, it's a full on 24-7. So, and we love it. Truly love yeah. it. I think the hardest part about having so many kids, and I can Im- imagine as a single parent, okay, maybe not the hardest part, but I'm just thinking logistically in our family, my husband and I share so much of the logistics of like picking kids up and getting them to where they're going. And I know that's changed some with COVID, but um, I imagine maybe you spend a lot of time in the car, like getting kids to different activities and places. <laughs> yes. You know, you know, my kids go to different schools. So three, so three of them go, four of them go to three different schools and they go in at different times and come out at different times. So you can imagine, you know, what I have to arrange, you know, who do we drop first? Who do we park first? Who do we, you know, and of course, as a single dad, I can't leave any child behind, you know, at the 17 and a 14 year old, I can leave them behind, but the little ones have to be with me everywhere I go, even to the store for just a quick, you know, 20 minutes, I have to take them with me. So, you know, spending time in car is what we do, do best and, you know, and, and serves, uh, for us and, and also an opportunity to really get to know uh, who they are, that we're in that closed, you know, uh, car that we really get to know uh, each each one's character in some way. Yeah, they're a captive audience in the car, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate that perspective um, to kind of find the silver lining in even the busyness of that. So will you tell our listeners about your decision to become a foster and adoptive dad? Oh, yes. I love sharing that. Well, for me, it didn't begin just one day, you know. So for me, it started years, years 
uh, when I was a little boy. You know, I grew up in the, you know, uh, from Africa, you know, from a country, Uganda, and I grew up the poor of the poorest. Grew up in a place where no one ever told me to dream. Grew up in a place where I was given a name at the age of two because my mom was afraid that I would not make it until the age of two because most kids who were born in my village, you know, you know, 60% of them will die before the age of two. So I didn't have a name until when I was two. So for me, that's the world I come from, you know, where there was absolutely no hope in any shape, form. You know, it's hard for mom if they can't feed you, you know, for a day to tell you to dream, you know. And then at the age of four, I began to realize that not only are we poor as dirt, but, we, were, you know, my dad wasn't a good dad. He was mean in every shape, form. You know, so for me, I had both, you know, both worlds against me, my own family, but also the poverty that I had grown uh, up in. You know, so I ran away at the age of 10 and because I didn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't let my dad take my own life. So I decided someone else should, you know, so I ran away, never been 20 miles away and, you know, became a street kid in Kampala, you know, and, and that became my life, you know. So three, four years, you know, once I got there, a stranger who did not know me uh, really rescued me. You know, he saw, he saw best in me that I, nobody else had ever seen in me. You know, he was the first man to ask my name for the four years. No one had ever asked my name. You know, he saw a dirty little thief boy, but he saw potential in me that I could never see in myself. And that's what changed my life, that he truly made me known. He truly gave me an opportunity to be seen and heard. And that changed my life. So for me, when I came to the United States, in some way, I think for what he had done for me, that I wanted to do the same, you know. But also when I came to US, I had no idea there were kids who would be in our community that had nowhere to go. And for me, having an extra bedroom, I could not just say, man, I have a blessed bedroom, a best house, you know, without blessing someone that I really wanted to do what someone did for me, you know, that they saw the potential in me and took uh, a chance on me and changed my life that I wanted to do the same uh, for what they done for me. So for me, fostering or being a foster parent, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't something that came overnight, but for me, it's really what had happened in my life. And I think I understood really very well that foster kids where that was me at some point. So for me, it was easy to relate. It was easy to understand, but also it was easy to be in their shoes because I was one kid. I was uh, one of them. I was uh, one kid that needed hope, a uh, glimpse of joy, but also to be in a safe and loving home. So uh, that's really what caused me to be a false friend, to give back to what someone had done for me. What brought you to the United States? You know, you were in Kampala, you were being mentored um, by this man. And so, you know, what was the story, if you don't mind sharing of, you know, how you ended up here in the States? Right. So when he took me in, he he, he gave me one, um, two choices. Say, hey, if I take you in, you have to go to school. So of course, you know, I, I was able to go to school and I did well in school. So I got a scholarship to go study. I studied in, in, in US and, oh, sorry, I studied in Uganda and then I went to study in England and then I got a scholarship to come and study in the United States. So that's how I came to the US, you know. Uh, it, it It's it's amazing the kindness of one on really how it truly in, 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 in some way spiral my future in the best way that I never thought I could be, you know, and so that's how I came to, to the U.S. Uh, to study. And also that's how I got to learn about kids in the false care that I truly began to say, you know what, you know, I think traditionally we are told, you know, you have to be married, you know, uh, to be, uh, uh, to have kids, you have to be married to do this and that. I think for me, 
you know, I think I wanted to be against the traditional way to say, you know, how can I be there for a kid? If I ever get married, sure. But while I'm waiting, what can I do to improve the life of a child? And that's kind of how I, I, I stepped in. Of course, at first, I didn't know they would allow me to be a false parent because I always thought they only take women or married couples. Uh, but when I, I went in, it was more, how can I be a mentor? And they're like, hey, have you ever thought of being a false dad? I was like, sure. Where do I sign up? And I signed up. And, you know, and five, five months later, I had my first placement. So, uh, yes. Uh, that's really what, what drew me or how, you know, uh, the opportunity that someone gave me that brought me to United States. Thanks for sharing that. What is something that you love about being a foster and adoptive dad? Oh, something I love, you know, he, he's for me, my understanding or how, what has, what I benefited the most, you know, in most cases, we think we're doing a favor to kids. We think we are giving them a life. But for me, I think they've given me life. You know, they have made me a better human being than I was when they found me. They've taught me what love means. They've taught me what an unconditional love truly means. To love someone with all the traumas, with all the baggage they come with, to love them in every shape, form. You know, they have told me what patient means. Like I thought I knew until I became a foster dad. I was like, Wow. I am far from that, you know. So for me, I think it's more of what they made me as a human being, as a better man that I have done uh, uh, for them, you know. So that's really what has shaped my life or what I feel like I have benefited the most. Yes, I think I provided a safe home and a loving home for the kids. But equally, I think they have improved my life uh, as well. So uh, for me, I think that's one lesson that, that I've learned uh, uh, through being a foster dad and adaptive dad. Do you think your experience, were you one of those kids that once you had a stable kind of loving relationships, did you, were you able to kind of fall into that pretty easily or was it, was it hard for you? Like, did you have some of these challenging behaviors that we see with kids who, you know, haven't had that consistent, stable attachment relationship? And does that experience help you relate to the kids that come through your home and have, you know, more compassion or more patience for them? We're interrupting this interview to ask you to do us a favor. Really, it's not for us, but for adoptive and foster parents just like you. If you find our podcast helpful, pause this episode and revisit your podcast app where you can rate and review the show. Honestly, this isn't about making us feel good. This is about other parents finding confidence, hope, and friends who understand. Thanks so much for helping us get the word out. We really appreciate you. Now back to the conversation. Does that experience help you relate to the kids that come through your home and have you know, more compassion or more patience for them? Yes, you know, absolutely. You know, I grew up in a home where all I had from my dad was garbage. I'll never amount to anything, you know, and I believed it because I had it from someone who should have been my, you know, my best supporter. And when I became a, a, a street kid, the same thing I had, you know, I was treated more like, more like a stray animal, more like I was less of a human being, you know, so the way people viewed me, the way people treat me, the way I, you know, I did not experience love or belonging or that I mattered to anyone. So, of course, those can somehow, you know, damage my childhood in some way. You know, so trust wasn't there. Like, I didn't believe I mattered. So, why sh- if I didn't matter, why should I, 
do anything that matters to anyone, you know. But I think along the way, on how he on how he approached loving me, he didn't pick up, he didn't wake up one morning and say, I'm gonna have this kid, but he helped me once a month or twice or three times a month, and he'll give me food for a period of time. So he built the trust before he could offer me the opportunity to go to school. But also he never judged me. He didn't say, you're a thief, you're dirty. No, he just loved me as who I am and embraced me. And I think that helped me to somehow begin to see myself as valued, that I mattered, that he had me, that that really built, you know, in some way, uh, uh, a better me in a way that helped me shape uh, on how I, I viewed myself, you know, that he guided me. He didn't tell me, but he guided me on how he treated me. That built me to really begin to have that pride as a, as a kid. And that helps me also as a foster dad, I think, you know, the, you know, the mistake we do, we forget that, you know, not hundred percent of our kids who come in the foster care come with trauma. So for me, he loved me first with all my traumas. He loved me in every shape uh, in that way, that I think the same way that I try to do for my kids, that I have to love them with their trauma. And it's my job to embrace them. And then along the way, it's up to them to see how they deal with it. But my job is to navigate and mentor them as they, you know, they deal with trauma. And that's how he helped me. And I think that has really shaped me on also on how I embrace my kids, you know, to know that they, I have to love them with all the trauma and all the difficulties and all the attachment issues that they have because that that is not a choice they woke up and they were that way no but the conditions where they are born and the situation they went through is what has led them to to be who they are the same way that man looked at me you know uh to me stealing was as normal as anything because that's all i knew you know but he taught me along the way on how to begin changing that by not lecturing me or telling me that but by just loving me first and then by providing, then I began to realize that, oh, I don't have to go take it. He's giving it to me, you know. The same with my kids, that I have to be patient, that I have to be loving. But also, I have to uh, truly love them as who they are, including their trauma, including their behaviors. And then along the way, I can figure out how I can, uh, you know, deal with more the internal things. I think that the behaviors is more of the... Uh, the outward of what they are showing us, what's go, you know, what's going internally, you know, and that's how he looked at me, and that's what I ought to look at kids as well. Mm, so beautiful. Do you think? Do you share your story with the kids that come to your home, and do you think that that helps them let their guard down sooner because maybe they sense that you understand where they're coming from? Yes, if they are if they are older than nine, you know, because they're able to understand, you know, I have videos that I can show where I come from, my story. So for most of my older kids, I want them to when they come to me to know, like, wow, if he can make it in life, I can make it too, you know, by not hiding my bad past, you know, life. That it really gives them a, a clue of, man, Peter has a really nice house. But to see them like, whoa, but where he come from, it's not like he was born in a nice house. He was born in, a, in even a worse place than, a, than me, but he's made it through life. And he's, he wants to, to love on me. He wants to give me the best, yet he has a history that they get to relate, you know. Or sometimes, you know, when they're going through those difficult times, that I'm saying, I was there. I understand, you know. And my job, I'm here to come, up, to come alongside you. And it's not a lie. It's not a gimmick that they know, yes, uh, you are one of us, you know, 
but at the same time that I can understand in that way that I can relate uh, with them that truly helps them in some way yes to let their guards down you know uh, to you know in some way to feel like you know this guy understands me uh, but above all that he loves me as as who I am yeah so you mentioned a lot of this knowing your kids loving them exactly where they are for who they are regardless of you know whether they're struggling from the outside like you were uh, whether they're struggling with those internal struggles that so many kids that have struggled with complex trauma struggle with. So tell us a little bit about this project that you've been working on called Now I Am Known. Well, Now I'm Known is, is an amazing opportunity, you know, and, and it came by also through this man who rescued me. So as I said before, you know, all I had from people, I was nothing. I was garbage. I would never mount anything. That's what I had from my own family and also the people that saw me on the streets. But when he took me in, he began using words of affirmation. You know, I think for the first time I had him say, Peter, you mad. And I was like, are you sure? Do Are you sure? You know, uh, and he would say, Peter, you know, sometimes I would be mad and I want to just say every word I could find, you know, and he would say, yeah, I hear you. You know, yeah, I hear you. I'm not mad. You know, tell me what do you feel? You know, I, I never knew I was a gift. He would say, Peter, you are a gift to us. And then, and as more as I had those words of affirmation, I began to believe in them, you know, but because he showed me that I was that worth, that I mattered, that I was, you know, that I belonged, that I was not alone, that really began to help me in some way shave the negative and the things that I've had through my childhood. Uh, and turn the best way in, you know, see the best in me that he saw in me. And so I decided that if, you know, they are really changing my life, that if I ever become a parent, I'm also going to use the words of affirmation to encourage my kids, you know? So of course, once I became a foster dad, I thought, wow, he used words of affirmation to encourage me. And there were 12 of them, you know, that I wanted to do the same, to tell my kids that you matter, you belong, you're chosen, you're not alone, you're hard, you're seen, you know, your gift, you're brave for what you've gone through to see how far you've come, that I wanted my kids to hear them often. So I wrote them on a piece of, on a piece of uh, paper. So I put it on the, on the fridge, on my sitting wheel and in my bedroom. So I can always remember to say those words of information. Then we got a dog. And then I realized that my kids sometimes when they go through trauma and they don't want to talk to dad, they go to their bedroom and they don't want to see me. And then I found a way on how I can still encourage them when they're in those moments, you know. And so I created a bandana and our dog wears the 12 words of affirmation because they always take the dog with them. So I was like, okay, while you're playing with the dogs, you can read those words <laughs> uh, with them, you know. And so that was a way to really encourage them and help them, you know, through those moments when the trauma shows up to know that they are not alone, you know, but then it was working well for me that I thought, how can I encourage other foster parents, adoptive parents, or even just any parents, you know? So we created a, a duplicate of our dog and he wears the, you know, those 12 words of affirmation, you know, as you can see right here, you know, this is a duplicate, exact duplicate of our dog Simba and he wears the, 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 the banana with those 12 words, you know, because we wanted other moms, other dads, other foster 
you know, kids to hear those words as well. And so that's how now I'm known to create as a platform, but also to encourage kids. So basically what we do, we sell one, you know, and then we give one to kids in the post care or kids at the hospital because we partner with, you know, agencies and, and, and foundation that really help kids in who are ill sick in, in the hospital to encourage them that you are not alone, that you're special, that we're listening to you. But also I wanted to give a platform to especially foster kids here in the United States to feel that they can be seen and they can be heard. So that's what we do. Basically, you know, that we sell one, but at the same time we give one. But also as a dad, you know, I decided to really change my 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 profession to be a full-time dad and advocate for kids in the foster care. So by me in some way, you know, selling one plushie, it helps me also to be an advocate for for kids and also be a full-time dad in some way. You know, so that's the platform uh, or how we came out with Now I'm Known, you know, to encourage, you know, uh, people and families uh, to do more uh, for kids. Oh, I love that. And remind me, I think you had a profession that was kind of fun before you, you know, had four or five kids you had to chase after. What did you do before you were, you know, Com- completely 100% dedicating your life to kids who needed to know that they were known? Yeah. So I, you know, again, you know, for me, I've always been an advocate for kids. So I worked for Compassion International, being an advocate for kids, you know, the most vulnerable kids all over the world. So I would travel all over the world, speaking on behalf of the kids. And then I've been working for, uh, com- you know, for World Vision, doing the same, you know, really speaking and raising funds for, for, for the kids. So that's what I did. But also I knew that, you know, having an eight to five job wasn't easy being a single dad, you know? So I took on, you know, flipping houses. Actually, that's where my name, you know, forced that flipper because I thought, you know, if I can do a job that can help me be my own boss, I, I'll be a better parent. So I quit my job, you know, to force, you know, to, to flip houses, but also that will enable me to be there when my kids need to go to the hospital, when they need to see therapy, when they need to visit their parents, you know, that I, on, on a whim, I can just, you know, leave and, and not feel guilty of who I was working for. So I wanted to work for myself. So that's what I did before. Uh, but it's been uh, amazing and a joy truly to be able to do that. Well, I'll tell you, you were kind enough to send me a little mini version of Simba. And I opened it and one of my kids who I'll let remain anonymous opened it up and looked at the bandana and said, Oh, a bandana. I want, you know, can I have that when you're finished with this mom? And then looked at the words and said, I love it. You know, like the words so just went right to her heart. And, um, and I, words of affirmation are not my primary love language. So I was just so touched to see how impactful just opening the box and seeing that bright yellow bandana was. And of course, then um, our two-year-old wandered in and found the plushie and now she's attached. So it's super soft, really cute. Um, and what a, a beautiful gift, um, you know, with the words in a way that kids can relate to and and even almost have like this, this little friend to go and um, tell all their big feelings to and um, have someone who, you know, is a, is a trusted little plushie who also won't judge them. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Mm-hmm. So Peter, what would you say to pre foster or pre adoptive dads who are getting ready or thinking about 
doing this, what are some things maybe that you had wished you had known before you got in to what you're doing now? Hmm. What things that I, for me, I think I, I think I wish I had started earlier, you know, like that was my, maybe my, my hardest hurdle. Like I just wish I had started earlier because I realized there were 10 years where I could have changed, you know, the kids lives, but also I knew, you know, the moments I had, that's, that's, that was the time I, I, I could do so, you know, but I was really, truly um, uh, encouraged, you know, I, I think for me, I wish I had known like men are allowed to be foster parents, you know, single. Like mm. I didn't know, you know, even when I went in, you know, I thought like they will not allow me, but they might allow me to be a mentor. And also something also that I really did not know was how, especially our boys in the first care, how so much they're looking for someone to mentor them, especially the male, you know. And I realized just how that is a lack, you know, that I'm not faulting the females, but they're the majority, you know, even those who have mom and dad at home, dad is at work and they spend time more with mom. So I realized just the, the, you know, the the longing for a man, the longing for a man to come alongside and somehow show them the little, little steps here and here. And they're not looking for the best shoe or go shoot hoops here and there. They are just looking for another man to say, hey, it's going to be okay. You know, I'm your dad and and you can do it. And I think uh, anyone who's really thinking about doing it, it, it's not it's not the money you make. It's not it's not the things you give them. It's the little time you get to spend with them that matters the most. You know, I found out that my kids, if I can wrestle or I'm wrestle like that's it means so much than any pair of shoes I could buy or ice cream i could ever buy because that's what they they want the most that's what they are looking the most you know uh a mentor someone who can say it's going to be okay you know and i think as men we have more to offer uh than that so if if we can walk in knowing it's not the stuff i want to give them but rather the little moments to inspire them to say you can do it and i'm here to watch you do that what fabulous encouragement. So you touched on it a little bit, but what encouragement would you have to say to dads who are where you are? They're in it. They're, you know, in it with two, three, four, five or more kids. And maybe they're feeling discouraged or they're wondering, you know, why it's so hard or, um, you know, wondering what did we get ourselves into? <laughs> Um, so what words of encouragement do you have for the dads who are right where you are? Oh, yes, I, I hear them. I feel them for what they go through. I do, you know, but I think that for us who are in it every day, sometimes we're in the trenches more than we are on top of the hill and it's easy to get discouraged. But I think, you know, I've had 16 kids. Sometimes, you know, it's it's when they go back to their parents that I realize the impact I made, you know, but while I'm, I was in it, I didn't really see it. But to see them, you know, in some way where they ask their mom, can I talk to you know, Mr. Peter, or sometimes they still call me dad. That for me, where I get to really see the results of the investment that I, that I put in, you know? Uh, so I want to encourage you, you know, as you're in it, sometimes, yes, it's you're in the trenches and it's hard to really see, am I making a, an impact, you know? Or you feel more of, can I survive this, you know? But I think the results get to come, you know, sometimes to, to the least expected or when we really don't expect it, you know, uh, the nights, you know, I, sometimes I have kids who cry for hours or 
can go through trauma 20 times in a day, you know, and by the time I put them to bed and I'm exhausted, you know, but he's one thing that has always encouraged me when the kid looks me in the eye and say, dad, I love you so much, you know, <laughs> and, and in my head, sometimes I'm like, I wish you told me that about noon it would have made a difference. <laughs> but, but at the end of the night, as I go to bed, like it gives me that, that, yes, I can see, I don't see the result, but that one word, that one word. Uh, is enough to encourage me to face tomorrow, uh, you know, uh, with joy, but also uh, with the thrill that I'm going to make a difference by just, you know, that, that I love you, that that's all at the end of the day that I had from from my kids. But sometimes that is all that I need to really know that I'm making an impact. So for me, yes, I would say, you know, hang in there. And and the other part is it's it's okay to be vulnerable. I think as a, you know, as a male at first, you know, I was afraid to ask, you know, I'm like, wow, I'm a man. I, I sign up for this. I'm going to do it. And then I realized that not really, you know, as in Africa, we say it takes a village to realize that I have other moms and dads in the false care that can really help me, can come alongside me, can have a coffee with me when I need that. So to it's okay to be vulnerable. The, the the last one, I think, is for me as a single dad, you know, uh, sometimes people look at me like, well, but do you provide what the moms do provide to the kids? And I always say, I've had 16 kids. No one has ever come to say and say, I wish we had a mom. None, no one, you know. Why? Because I've learned to be the all, all to the kids, you know, to be tender, to be caring, to be compassion, you know. I think the stereotype of, you know, people want to put us in a box. This is how man should behave. This is how we should talk. But for me, I'm learning that it's not what the society tells me to be, but rather what the kids are looking for, you know, to be tender, to be loving, you know, even sometimes to be that vulnerable to them, that they get to see, that they get to hear that, oh, daddy has challenge, but he still loves us. So that it's okay, you know, and, and, and to avoid the stereotype, you know, I think sometimes, you know, you know, I get that, you know, my kids are, are, are Caucasian and I'm a black dad, you know, sometimes I get people who say, how dare you? How can you be their dad? I mean, are you qualified? Do you, do you know how to, you know, but for me, I think that to stay to what my calling is, my calling is to be a dad is not to see through what people think of me, you know, or what they expect of me, but for me, to what my kids expect of me, you know, that has really helped me be the best that I can be. Not what others think, but what my kids think, you know, uh, that I can be silly, that I can, you know, cry sometimes, they get to see me crying, but at the end of the day, uh, that they know, you know, he's, he's as human as we are, uh, and it's really been a joy. So, again, it's okay to be vulnerable as men. It's okay to ask for help. Uh, and I think that takes us, you know, uh, on how best we can be there for kids. Yeah, man, you touched on so much stuff there and, and even glossed over some of the transracial pieces of being a black dad with white kids. That's probably an entire different conversation and a really interesting one. But I appreciate your your, your vulnerability. And um, I can imagine you have some stories to tell when it comes to the reactions of when folks see you guys out in public. You are also the only single dad we have on this month for this um, adoptive and foster dad series. How do you fill your own bucket up to keep showing up and being, you know, the one guy who's both the tender, compassionate one and also the 
you know, the disciplinarian and the rule, you know, the guide, the structure, what are the things that have helped you still have the energy to keep doing this? Mm, you know, you know, I, you know, I, I, I run, I, I do exercise. Like, you know, once I became a parent, I, I didn't stop doing so, you know, I found other ways, you know, on how to do it and bring my kids, include them. So I run, but they can bike. My kids can't run. But we go for, uh, I go for a run to process and think through while they are biking. So I found a way of really still love what I do, but bring them, you know, bring them alongside. Then the other part, as, you know, as I said, to, you know, being vulnerable, like I really go to other moms and say, hey, you know, my, my kids are teenagers now. So I need really, could you help me talk to them on how they need to respect women on how they need to, you know, things where I know I don't have the tools, but I have people I trust that I can go to, you know? The other part is revisiting my own mother's uh, way on how she raised her, to remember on what she did, how she was tender, how she really instilled values and principles in me that I can do the same. Remember what my mom did and be able to use that in so uh, to be there for my kids in those tender moments, in those uh, precious moments where they are looking for uh, you know, not having a mom that I can't be that that mom, you know. So, you know, those things that are, are, are really helped. You know, I have friends too, you know, who I, the one thing I think I, I've really done is to be accountable. You know, I know not everyone can be a foster parent, but I have friends who can't not be, but can't take me for coffee, you know. Uh, you know, I and I demand it. I say, look, I'm a foster parent, so I'm going to ask you to do this for me. And they do that for me. Uh, sometimes I run out of milk or, you know, or eggs, you know, and I'm able to call my single friends this 10 a.m., 10 p.m. I'm like, hey, look, I cannot leave the house. So I need milk. I need eggs and uh, juice. Could you? And, and it's a way they they can serve and they're looking for that as well. That I give them an opportunity to really be helpful to us, but also a joy to be part of our journey. You know, so, you know, are willing to ask others, you know, are willing to be accountable for I think that has really helped me stay in tune, you know, but also have people in my life that can help me when I cannot do what I'm required to do as a parent. Yeah, I think that's good advice for all of us. So thank you so much, Peter, for uh, being so open about your story, um, for the way that you show up every day to love your kids, uh, for the work that you're doing for the greater good of vulnerable kids in our country and in other places. Um, and for the grace that you've handled, um, I'm sure some really difficult conversations and situations and observations about your family. So we appreciate you here at the Adoption Connection and uh, just appreciate you sharing your story with us today. Well, thank you. And on behalf of my kids and the kids and of who you represent, we want to thank you for, for, for standing up and for giving a voice uh, to our kids. So thank you. There were so many things I liked about this conversation, Melissa. It's just, it was delightful to hear, I think, such a unique story. I mean, his story is very hope-filled. And I, I hope that all of us listening are also encouraged by the impact a loving, caring adult can have on a child and how this has now impacted Peter's life so much and is now impacting the next generation with all the children he's serving. So I just thought it was a great conversation. 
Absolutely. So here's a fun thing. Peter talked a little bit about these plushies that they're using to create awareness for foster children and also to comfort kids going into the foster care system. And so if you haven't seen it already over in our Instagram feed, we posted yesterday about a giveaway we're doing. Um, one family is going to get a now I am known plushie. They're super cute. Um, our granddaughter has one and she just took it outside the other day as her little friend to go with her. So um, we'll have links to that Instagram post. If you want to enter that giveaway, you can also um, follow Peter at foster dad flipper on Instagram and his organization is now I am known.com. Of course, all of that will be in one tidy little place at the show notes at the adoption connection.com slash one thirty-seven. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as the adoption connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.